All right, Marky, episode 39. We got a guy back on the block. Captain Brendan Murphy from the U.S. Marine Corps. He's also an Alfred University graduate and Bishop Timon graduate. Welcome to the program, Murph. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. So Murph comes to us right from overseas. He just got done with his uh, eight years of duty, and we're going to go down the line and what a U.S. Marine is all about here today. First off, Brendan, when you get out of high school, what's your mindset going into Alford? Is the military in your mind at that time? It was. Um, you know, I wanted to be a Marine for, for a good portion of my life. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I was 17, and uh, it really wasn't my decision at that point. Uh, so, really, I wanted to follow what my brother did. He, you know, he went to Hobart and played lacrosse. I wanted to go play college lacrosse as well and uh I, you know alfred was you know the best school that that wanted me to come play so i went there uh, four years and then um it, pretty much as soon as i graduated from alfred was when I, I joined the marine corps and you have that in your mind when you're a sophomore in college you think at the junior year was when i actually really started exploring it there's a uh, a program for you know uh you know college sophomores and juniors to uh you know go to officer candidate school during the summer while they're still students broken down into you know two iterations and then once they graduate from college they'll be commissioned as officers now when when i wanted to do that it was a really bad time it was 2011 2012 which was uh, a drawdown the um i i, I I forget the the term that that the government had for it, but um, OCS wasn't taking anybody at that point, and that's why when I graduated, I decided to enlist, even though I had a degree. And so you're not recruited. You look at these guys like a lot of recruiters would wait out to high school and college. This is something you wanted to do, so you're past that recruiting stage. Right. I was actually referred to a recruiter. So this guy, a staff sergeant down in Jamestown, basically got you know, a free number um, because I was already set to go. He just needed to you know, reroute my paperwork to go as uh, an enlisted Marine rather than an officer. And they got to love guys like you that want to go, want to be a Marine. Because usually, like, in high school, I was getting talked into it by the U.S. Marines. They were coming over to the house and waiting for me outside. That's got to be great for a guy like that. Like, whoa, I got a, I got a nice nice one here. I He wants to c- come and join us. Well, th- I mean, that's the significant difference between the Marine Corps and the other branches of the military where – the, the Navy recruiters and the Army recruiters will have to kind of finesse you and, and tell you, you know, what benefits they offer and why you should choose the Navy over the Army. And the Marine Corps doesn't have any of that. Their approach is, are you good enough to become a Marine? If if you think so, then, you know, come try it out. So you're only getting guys walking and, and girls walking into that office that want to go experience that challenge. What say you're a recruiter? What is the perfect type of? We're in South Buffalo. What is the mindset you want from a 19 year old that is interested in the Marines? What 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 are what do you look for that say you know the, we got a shot with this guy? 
you know, I, I don't have any experience recruiting, and um, the recruiting is, is such a, a difficult thing. Um, you, you, for the most part, you're just looking for someone with any interest, and then you're gonna sort of find out what they want to do. Uh, the way that I would approach it is find out what they want to do when their time in the military is over so that they're not going and, you know, sitting four years in the infantry when they have an interest in, you know, being a mechanic or something like that. And that will, that will set them up on the back end when they get out of the military. They, they have that experience that will translate into uh, real real world certifications that they can bring to employers and say, I, this is this is my experience. I don't have a degree, but I do have experience. So you're getting into boot camp, Paris Island. Yeah. Did you play uh, Alfred Lacrosse for four years? I did. I I played for four years. I was a captain for two of them. Uh, you know, we we weren't the strongest team in the Empire Eight, but it was a <laughs> it was a good time. Captain, is are you a captain now? Is your rank that that is my rank in the Marine Corps? Look at him, yeah. Just getting the C's. Well, being on a team growing up, that's got to really help when you walk into the Marine Corps, any any you know any service, Navy, Army. But being in a team growing up and that camaraderie, did that help you going into the military? You think growing up? Because I mean, we played sports. We played every sport here. Did that help you? It does. And, and to go back to your other question about what someone would be looking for, you know, they're looking for guys who are athletic and they've got this experience, um, you know, on, on teams. Doesn't matter the sport, it translates because the, the whole thing with, you know, being in a fire team, being in a squad, a platoon, is that you you train and and fight as a team. So, um, if you if you if you never experience that dynamic, then you're gonna have a hard time kind of picking that up. That it's not about you; it's about the the good of the team. When get, when you get in there, did you notice any guys during the headlights that mm, this guy might not have been on an organized team before? And and that's that's the thing about the the military and the Marine Corps in general is you get all sorts. You get the guys that are you know the stud athletes. They're they're great academically. And you get the guys that you know you wouldn't expect to join the Marine Corps. They're um, a little timid. They're you, you know they they may not have ever played a sport in their life. They're sort of into video games and stuff, and that kind of is becoming more prevalent now. But they are very very good at making sure that everyone is broken down to the base level and then built back up as Marines. So everyone is pretty. Uh, equal once they step off of Paris Island and go to their follow-on schools. So when you get to Paris Island, they're humbling you. Oh, they're, yeah, they're... that's that's the first step. Um, you know, the first four weeks, phase one, is breaking you down, getting rid of all those old habits that you, that you brought with you and uh, starting to introduce you into a military mindset. Now, I've known Murph a while. I don't see you as the type of guy that gets shook when you get to Paris Island. I mean, sure, there's a shock it, it, maybe in the beginning, but it seems like you're, you're a focused guy that you were probably prepared for boot camp. I, I was. Um, I spent a good amount of time training physically to 
show up there. Um, and, you know, recruits will show up. They're, they're 17, 18 years old. They've never lived outside of mom's house. They, they have zero experience in the world. Not to say that I did. I was 22 years old, college graduate. I had spent some time away. Um, you know, it wasn't that shocking of a thing to me, especially now you can do some research, you know what to expect a little bit, but once you're actually there, it's designed to be as confusing as possible. So you, you can't fully prepare yourself until you're, you know, to experience that because there's just no way to. You, you, you never prepare by breaking yourself down an entire day and then like adding PT and adding you know, stressful things, you know, like confusing you. And and that's that's the whole game is to confuse you, stress you out. Really what they're trying to introduce is the instant and willing obedience to any order. And, you know, they do a good job with that. You're never going to question a th- one thing that a drill instructor tells you to do. I've heard drill instructors have calmed down a little bit. Is this true or is this a myth that they want you to believe? Now, every, every Marine from... Way, way back 244 years until today, they're going to tell you that when they went to boot camp, it was harder than it is now. <laughs> right. And it is a little bit lighter now, I would say, um, because there's been several high-profile incidents in the last few years. Uh, a, a couple recruits have died. Um, so and in the last, you know, 15 20 years hazing has become a big thing in the marine corps and the military in general so they they keep a close eye on what the drill instructors are doing and what they are allowed to do is very rigidly controlled so yes they they can't swear at you even though they they may or may not <laughs> they can't put their hands on you unless they are either correcting a drill deficiency or somebody's in danger. That's why they choke yourself. Use my hand, not <laughs> yours. <laughs> yeah. So, so back in in the '60s, that was a, a different time. Yeah. Uh, you know, in research technology, I mean, there's probably extra things that you're just like, we just don't do that anymore. You know. Well, back in the '70s, I want to say I could be wrong on the date, but uh, there was a drill instructor who got drunk and he took some of his recruits out into the swamps at night and a few of them drowned. So that's called the Ribbon Creek incident on Paris Island. And after that, they they implemented a, a new level of supervision called the series commander. And that's a, a captain who is in between the drill instructors and the company commander. So there's there's very tight supervision even on a on a small level, to ensure that things like that don't happen. But you see them pop up from time to time. Like drill instructors get carried away, they get relieved of their duties, and unfortunately, sometimes you see recruits not make it off of Paris Island. So now, there's like an HR for Marines. Basically, there's a, not a middleman, but he's yeah. making he's checks and balances, making sure. Things don't go a little over the top. Like proactive instead of reactive. Right, and occasionally he will pull random recruits in or all of the recruits in 
and he'll the recruits will stand in front of his desk and they'll ask a series of questions like are you do you feel as though you're being hazed you know are you are they allowing you to eat to sleep the proper amount to make head calls go to the bathroom um just make sure that things are on the up and give the recruits an opportunity to uh, let somebody know if something's not right. And some guys, I'm sure, in your what would you call it your your class are saying, you know, don't be don't be a pussy, you know, no, no, get through this, keep your head down, and work hard. And so I'm sure that there's. How do I put it? I'm sure there's guys that want to go, but I think for the betterment of the team, aren't going and reporting these things. But, yeah, yes, it is difficult, and it's one one way to, to get through it is just to, you know, like you said, keep your head down and just grit your teeth and, and make it through. But there is a line to difficult training and abuse. So, and, and I think the recruits are smart enough to know where that line is. Like I got yelled at, I'm not going to run to the series commander and make a complaint because you get yelled at every minute of every day or the drill instructor punched me in the face, hypothetically, that's over the line and that needs to be reported. So you go to your senior drill instructor, you can, you can request to speak with him and report that, um, or you could just go right to the first officer in that chain, which is going to be that series commander. I have a feeling that Murph put his head down, I, gritted his yeah, teeth. And, see, are you, yeah. were you the kind of guy that was like, be in the middle of the pack, but I know you're competitive, so were you always overdoing everything, super competitive all the time? See, you hear that a lot when you get there, just keep your head down, don't volunteer for anything. When I got there, the drill instructors came out into I mean we we're all online and he he said who here has any college experience and I I raised my hand a few of us did and we all stepped into the center and he asked us you know what our specific college experience was and we had some guys they went to a couple community college classes and one guy was you know an EMT or something like that and I had a four year degree and he says you're the scribe which is a pretty coveted billet in the platoon it comes with a little bit of extra privilege so I kind of got hooked up there right in the beginning and then later on I became the the guide of the platoon which I guess is the the one of the better billets also so I had the the top two by you know first volunteering and then at the end through performance getting that spot I want to say I coached that into him Marky coached uh, Murphy at South Buffalo in time in lacrosse. Time, yeah. So, oh, what a time! You're very proud. Yeah. <laughs> Are you proud today, Mark? Yeah. Well, it's it's important to note how, and uh, no offense, but no. how how insignificant those two roles are <laughs> in, the, in the grand scheme of things. Like, once you're off of that training environment, nobody cares if you held those spots. It's just something to. I guess guess something to hang your hat on uh, later in life. So let's bring us to Paris Island. You get into Paris Island. Break it down for the listeners. 
what exactly happens your first day of boot camp and what your reactions are to, to everything. The first week of recruit training is receiving. So you will arrive on, on bus, and from from the moment that bus door opens, the drill instructor is there and they're yelling at you. So you've seen probably videos of it. They They get you off the bus and you get onto the yellow footprints, and that's your first formation um and from from then on you're going into the receiving building and it's just administrative paperwork they're going to go through all the belongings that you brought anything that you shouldn't have is going to be put into storage the things that you're allowed to have you're going to carry with you uh and then the subsequent days are medical getting shots um you know just just the all of the things that need to be done to for you to begin training. And then on that Thursday, I believe, you're going to run the initial strength test, which is half of a PFT, a physical fitness test, to ensure that you're physically fit enough to begin training. Friday of that week, you're going to meet your drill instructors. People refer to that day as Black Friday, but it's sort of another insignificant date. You're just... You're just being introduced to your drill instructors. They're going to yell at you. They're going to throw your stuff around. They're going <laughs> to do all of those things to disorient you. Please tell me they're still coming up with nicknames. They they do. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't remember any, but if you if you start off with a bad impression, you're going to end up with a bad a nickname. Bad nickname. <laughs> <laughs> like Private Pile. Right. But... Are you looking when when they get rid of the stuff you're not supposed to bring? Are you looking around going, "What the fuck did this guy bring that for?" Right, like they'll they'll bring books, they'll, <laughs> which you are allowed to bring one religious text, but people bring ridiculous things, like iPads, like like stupid cell things. phones. Yeah, I mean things that you're explicitly told not to bring. They will, for some reason, think it's okay. And that stuff does go into storage. It's not like they're going to throw it away. But it's going into a 90-year-old wooden building with a <laughs> corrugated tin roof and a paper bag. So it's probably not going to make it back. <laughs> so these conditions aren't great. Uh, no. Any Marine Corps base that you go to, you're going to look around and say, like, wow, I, these are the conditions. And especially... Paris Island, I mean, that place is uh, very old. They were doing some upgrades when I was there, but that, that was eight years ago. And you never go back to Paris Island after that? Is there? You can be assigned there as a Marine. Would but... you just, like, see it and be like, fuck this? Like, I'm never going back. You know, it, it's not that bad of a place if you're not there in a recruit capacity. When the stress isn't on you. Right. Yeah, uh, so I could see that. I've got... You know, officers that I trained with that became those series commanders and company commanders on Paris Island, and it doesn't look like that bad of a job. I think it would kind of be enjoyable. Looking towards the future, huh? So we're we're doing the PFT. We're on Black Friday. Now what? Then you're getting into training day one. You're going to start uh, McMap, the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program. So they will start you on your way to becoming a Tan Belt Warrior which is the lowest belt in the in the process. 
you're also going to start getting your classes on Marine Corps history. You're going to start uh, studying for tests, and you're going to start doing uh, some drill, which is going to occupy a good portion of your time for the next 90 days. And your motivation is still going hard. Are you uh, are you in the zone, or you you just can't believe this is happening at the time? You're you're most at this point. You're mostly in a constant state of not knowing what is going on and not knowing what to expect, which is by design. Um, they keep throwing things at you, yes. so you don't have time to think about yes. it or get nervous or whatever. And every single second that's available, they are going to use to train you. So even if you're just standing in a line waiting to go to the the little PX that they have there um, or waiting to get into the shop to get a haircut, you're going to be they're going to be practicing drill moves. They're going to pull a couple of you out to do incentive training. They're going to do anything that they can to squeeze any training that they can get out of you because their time is so limited. So what what time do you let's let's say go to bed because there's no free time right you don't get an hour of rec time to, or do you you do you do get yeah. one hour lights out is uh twenty hundred eight o'clock in the evening and uh, reveille is at zero four so some guys are uh, that are sleeping in their mom's uh, basement it's a big fucking wake up call for these guys if they're not prepared but most you would say are prepared. Well, the, those days before you start training, you're you're not really sleeping at all, and it's by the time you get to where you're on you're on T one, and you're following that regimented schedule. You're as soon as you hit that rack, you're falling asleep, and you have to get eight hours. Um, you can have one hour of fire watch. But that's you can only have uh, that one hour of broken sleep, um, and well, yeah, like because I mean they they use the stress because it's there's no actual life and death situation. But like, would you say now that that training is like crucial to like the actual like uh, work you do? The the role of the drill instructor and the the recruit depots is to make Marines. So you're not learning anything there that is going to turn you into, you know, an infantry warfighter. It's, it's just the basic foundation of the military of the Marine Corps. Um, and like I said, that willingness and obedience to orders, um, they are going to introduce you to just basic fundamentals of you know the the fire team but that's mostly just to introduce you to solving problems as a team together rather than you know just trying to muscle through it yourself and that tactical stuff comes later on so basically they're getting your mind set up that you are a soldier and this is what we we do now to prepare you to be a soldier. We're not going to teach you any tools of the trade yet. We're just going to be on your ass. You sleep eight hours, and you work hard the rest of the way. Is that how I'm seeing it? Essentially, yes. Um, 
they they're going to it, it's a it's a building process. So once those you know first three four weeks are up, then we're gonna start building you back up into the mold of of, of a marine, and it's about instilling like that teamwork that I spoke about, confidence, really really those those things that pop into your head when you think about what a marine is that's that's what they're doing there right everybody goes through it the same way everybody it's goes same for everybody right yeah. that's good to we're hear. all in the same way i like that so as you go are you picking up things like oh wow i didn't expect to do that in boot camp or i didn't expect to be doing that as a marine you you'll spend a significant amount of time cleaning <laughs> <laughs> making your bed ironing uh they're they're going to teach you everything you need to know about every uniform that you will have it's a lot of classroom time but you're also going to be doing things like the confidence course the obstacle course you're going to run the pft the the combat fitness test you're going to run uh pt four or five days a week and then eventually you're going to get into the fundamentals of marksmanship and working on the range um, which is a, a good three-week portion of of recruit training. And how, how'd you like that? You, you, have, have you ever shot a firearm before the Marines? Prior to that, no. I, I'd never handled a, a gun or, or fired one, which is a good thing because you don't have bad habits or anything like that. You're going to learn marksmanship, fundamentals, the Marine Corps way from the start. That's good, yeah. So, how long are we at Paris Island for? Boot camp. That's uh, that's a three week th- or sorry, three month. Uh, it's it's uh, seventy training days. And no D and D there. No. Uh, each each night you're gonna get one hour of that's it square wow. away time. That allows you to, you know, you can work out if you want you can write letters home writing letters yeah, gonna, i love it they're gonna they're gonna hand out mail that you're receiving you can read books magazines whatever whatever you've received from home um or you can just sit and and just kind of decompress for an hour and that's that's right before lights out and what what were you usually doing I was usually writing letters or reading. There's yeah. there's not much else to do. Is is there ever ever a choice like a, a time that there's at the end of boot camp or whatever that there, you see a direction that you want to go in anything? Is there any choice at that point, or is it just everybody has a, the next step, the next step, the next step, and then a choice of what you want to do in the? Mo- most of the recruits will have, at the very least, they'll have an occupational field that they're going to fill an MOS. Some recruits show up with a, an open contract, which I wouldn't recommend to anybody because they're going to put you in an MOS based on the needs of the Marine Corps, which is going to be something that they have trouble filling because they're unpopular and they're unpopular for a reason. I I went there with a specific MOS on my contract, which was 0331, the machine gunner. Wow, that a boy. So we're getting out of boot camp. Tell us the process 
what's next? Guy coming around telling you where you're going to go? Is it, you know, computerized? Is it a letter? How does that happen? Once you hit that final week at at Paris Island, you're going to start getting orders to your next duty station if you have that open contract uh, or occupational field. Um, they're going to give you an MOS within that occupational field or assign you an MOS, and then they're going to cut you orders to your next school. Uh, you're going to leave. You're going to have 10 days off to go home and see your family, and then you'll get, be given a report date to your next school. Uh, for me, that was the School of Infantry East and the Infantry, Infantry Training Battalion. And where was that? That's on Camp Geiger, North Carolina, which is uh, very close to Camp Lejeune. Yeah. So you're on your way to be become a machine gunner. Yeah. And what's the job of a machine gunner? Uh, your job as a machine gunner is to provide a high volume of accurate machine gun fire in support of maneuver. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love to hear that. So, it, I mean, like in layman's terms, it would be to suppress the enemy so that the rifleman can uh, move closer to the enemy position uh, without being fired upon. So you're you're almost, you're accurate cover, almost. It's covering fire. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're clearing the way so the boys can move up. Right. Do you okay. watch the show Barry? No. Oh, my God. Yes, check it out. Uh, there's this exact thing going on where someone's describing their job in the military and someone being like, that's so awesome. And they're like, yeah, you want to do it? It's like, no, I don't. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't. I, I'm I wouldn't want to do it, but I, th I think it's cool. So that that is the, the job description. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> mostly it's just going to be carrying around machine guns and cleaning machine guns <laughs> and maintaining machine guns yep. and running machine gun drills and doing the things that will prepare you to possibly do that in the future. How much uh, does a machine gun weigh? Well, it depends on the gun. Um, a two forty Bravo, which is a, a medium machine gun, weighs 22 pounds. So you're carrying around some heavy iron there. Right. Um, so we were trained on the M249 squad automatic weapon, which isn't really in use anymore. The M240 Bravo, the medium machine gun, the M2... 50 cal and the mark 19 40 millimeter grenade launcher so uh that weapon weighs 77 pounds the uh the receiver on the 50 cal weighs 58 pounds so you're moving some some heavy weight around that'll give you some fucking cover marky <laughs> so we're training with the machine guns in north carolina at what point do you say you know what i'm getting pretty good at this well the the first half of that training you're you're all going to receive what's called the 0300 package and that's basically just uh infantry basics and fundamentals uh you know how to how to patrol how to use camouflage how to do all of the 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 little things that you would need to know before you get into your specific MOS so at the end of that uh, that then we have uh, a a break off the the guys who have a weapons MOS be it machine guns mortars assault men they're gonna go and they're gonna train in that and the 0311s are gonna go and continue to just do field ops and train how to be a rifleman. 
So basically, just like being on a team, here's your power play, here's your penalty killers. Right, right. Everybody has Everyone's their, got their, their spot. Special, yeah. Their specialization. Um, and, you know, it was it was in that portion that I kind of realized, like, you know, this, this isn't so bad. Marines are going to complain about ever, anything. Um, but, you know... They're going to get the job done anyway, and it's not so bad. I was there in uh, from February to April, so the weather there isn't the greatest. And, uh, you know, during during some of this 0311 fundamentals, I was getting uh, positive feedback from the instructors pretty much the whole time. And fortunately, I was kind of able to highlight myself as a, as a solid performer, I'd say. So that... Instilling confidence still is helping, helping a marine. So it seems to me like a marines. A lot of it is confidence. It is, and I think a big portion of it was maturity. Uh, like I said, I, I was, I was a twenty-three-year-old college graduate, and we had some guys who were seventeen, just got out of high school. So. There was a little bit of a struggle there where, you know, you encounter any sort of adversity, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to stop you in your tracks where, you know, some of the older guys, the ones who are doing a lap move from a different MOS into the infantry, the ones who, you know, were a little bit older, who graduated college, they sort of had an easier time with some of the things that we had to do. And you were, uh, growing up, you were more mature I think, than uh, your fellow classmates. You were kind of ahead of the curve at, well, at a younger age. I think that helped you. That's I'm, that's debatable, but <laughs> well, I like um, how am I going to put this? Like I could see also in your position <clears throat> or anybody's position that has a college degree or anything, like get into it, and then when they start getting their ass beat, they're like, "Fuck it, I have a degree. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I don't need to be treated like shit." You know, so I mean, at the some point, you were probably just like somebody was. Somebody told me I wasn't gonna do this, and now I'm gonna fucking do it. You know what I'm saying? And and that's that's a something that you'll encounter throughout. Like, um, it like do do you have what is required to accomplish this? And going back to that split between the O three hundred. And the weapons MOS is, I had an instructor, he asked me, you know, do you think that you, are you sure you want to be a machine gunner? Do you think you can handle this? Because I, you know, I'm not the biggest guy. Not that there anybody had any choice in the matter because I was assigned that MOS before I even left for Paris Island. He didn't know that. And I was, yeah, you know, it's not going to be a problem for me. I If it's that hard, then, you know you wouldn't have been able to do it because you're smaller than me. <laughs> so they do tend to, to look for the bigger guys to carry that, that the weight of the guns and the ammunition. But, you know, it, it's nothing that you can't get through with a little bit of resolve and determination. And growing up, and I'm a little guy too, we kind of have that chip on our shoulder. Right, that's part of it too. Like, yeah. you, why are you asking me if I think I can handle this? If I, If I didn't, then I wouldn't be standing here. Right. That's a good attitude, Murph. So we're trained in North Carolina. Now you're going to get your marching orders? Is that, is that one of the things? 
once you're done with that school, I mean, that's it. So um, every Marine on the East Coast is going to go to SOI. The ones who are not infantry, they're going to go to Marine Combat Training, which is a 28-day you know, crash course in infantry tactics. And then they go on to their MOS school, whatever it may be, intelligence, vehicle, mechanic, motor T, whatever. The infantry guys, that's their final destination. Once they're trained in their MOS, be it 0311, 41, 31, uh, they are going to go to their duty station. So for me, I signed a reserve contract with, you know, the future in mind. There's a reason why I did that. And when all of the guys in my class got orders to different Marine battalions, I went home and I checked into uh, the truck company for the 25th Marines down in Erie, Pennsylvania, and that's where I was for two and a half years. Okay. What are you doing there in Erie? That unit, be it's a motor T unit, and they rate one machine gunner for some reason. Uh, I, the, the, the purpose of that is to train the other Marines in... Uh, you know, belt-fed weapon systems because every vehicle that we had had a turret and would need to have a machine gun mounted if we were forward deployed. So everyone would need to know how to operate those weapons, and that was my task. You're meeting good people there. You Any friendships in the, in, in the Marines here, or is it just head down, do your job? We don't have time to make friends here. No, you're always going to bond over shared suffering. So when the weather was terrible in uh, in infantry training, you know, you, you bond over that. And it, it sucks when it's happening to you, but it's a good story and it's funny when, when it's over. And there's still a couple guys from, from that portion that I, I keep in contact with. Uh, and, and even at, at truck company, I didn't have as much in common with those Marines cause they were all, they all had motor T MOSs. They were either operators or, um, mechanics, but, um, you know, there, there's still guys that, you know, I, I maintain a, a small amount of contact with. There's always a crazy guy from Texas. Tex. Always told <laughs> He's always Tex. Any, any crazy Texans you run into? You know, I, I can't think of any specifically that I ran into, but um, what what you're going to see is brand new Marines who are either, you know, in MCT or, or infantry training um, on the weekends. You go to the mall in Jacksonville or you go out to some of the some of the stores around there and you're going to you're going to see um you're gonna see those guys are wearing they're wearing their cowboy boots or their or their, you know, yeah, uh, they're shit kickers. Yeah, <laughs> and they they've got their their shirts tucked in and the big the big belt buckle and the cowboy hat <laughs> and they're they're wearing their their assault pack on their back. And it's, it's not just, even Halloween. It's just like a like a a, a new marine uniform. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So. At what point you're at Erie, you're trained, you're ready. Now what? Now what is the Do you US? see the world? Like is is that like your next step in this thing? 
we we did go to uh, Twenty Nine Palms in in California once for ITX, and which is a integrated training exercise. Uh, our role there was sort of as a facilitator. We were training in the job of the company, which was to move Marines around. But really, we all we were doing was getting the infantry guys from one range and bringing them back or moving them to another range and just we were kind of like a like a logistical piece of that training but we also got our own training out of that Uh, that was the only place that we ended up going to outside of the northeast while i was there it seems to me that the marines are very very trained so that when the shit happens you are ready well, and that's sort of the purpose of the Marine Corps is yeah. to be a, a quick responder. So we have Marine Expeditionary Units deployed pretty much constantly, and the the task of the MU, as we call it, is to respond pretty much anywhere in the world within six hours. And that can happen very easily, as we're seeing now. Right. So you're always going to see one, like in the Persian Gulf area and— some usually there's there's one in the in the Pacific as well. So the 31st MU will respond to that. That's their area of responsibility, and they'll respond to a crisis, be it uh, uh, a military incident or a humanitarian crisis within six hours. So we're training in California. At what point are we going outside the U.S.? I didn't go. Anywhere outside the U.S. until I became an officer, which there's a there's a whole big chunk of time in between. Yeah, in between there. So my first, you know, miniature deployment, if you will, was to Norway to um, Operation Trident Juncture in 2018. Oh, okay, so yeah, so you're uh, you're still in your first four years of this when you're in California, right? Yeah, yeah, that that first ITX, I'm 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 pretty much brand new to the unit. That was my first, as we call in the reserves, uh, AT. It's an annual training. So when you hear that one weekend a month, two weeks a year, uh-huh. that's the the two week period is our annual training where where we will actually uh, be given active duty orders and we'll go train somewhere for a, a more significant portion of time because. There's only so much you can do in in one weekend per month, right? So, so you get to the end of you you went in for four years, right? Is that how it works, or you just, you went for eight? My initial contract, I think, if I remember correctly, was four and two. So they're always going to be six years for the reserves. Um, so that's four years in the selected Marine Corps Reserve plus two in the inactive ready reserve. Um, and, but when I applied for and was selected to go to officer candidate school, that kind of just got wiped away and I got a brand new contract for another, uh, four and two. Tell us about how you decide that you want to be an officer and you want to do this for a little while longer than the, the regular Marine. I Cause I say. mean, you sacrifice a lot, I yeah. mean, but sacrifice a lot a lot for a lot you know i mean i i didn't have you know the the 
most in-demand degree from the the you know best school in the world so you know finding a a job would have would have been somewhat difficult but you know I I probably could have got into something that I could have built a career over the last eight years but I always had this this interest in the military and the Marines specifically and it came down to um, that that feeling like when I'm in my 40s and 50s I don't want to look back at my 20s and say you know I wish I would have done that I just wanted to do it and you know see where it led me well we thank you for that without a doubt so when you get to the officer what is the difference between being an officer and a regular marine tell tell these guys this as an officer you are completely responsible for everything that your marines do or or don't do um my my main role was as a planner so uh, as an as an infantry officer, we are planning uh, platoon level missions, um, and just making sure that my Marines were trained uh, to execute and accomplish whatever mission that we were assigned. That's in a nutshell. That's the job of of, of an infantry officer and and really any officer. While you're training, and we're going back from boot camp up until we're an officer, what traits have you picked up that you think have made you a better person away from the the base? I think uh, being able to uh, relate to people and uh, being able to impart knowledge that you have, knowledge and experience that you have um, onto them in a way that they're going to understand it because... Some of the concepts that we learn, you know, as, as officers are, are sort of complex and they really don't concern the, the Lance Corporal. Um, but, you know, you have to be able to explain complex things to people so that in a way that they can understand it. And you, you also have to be able to always give the, the reason why we're doing something. So we always give a task and a purpose, um, and that is going to allow the the Marines to buy into whatever we're doing. They're going to do it anyway, but if they have a, a better understanding of why we're doing it, then, you know, then you're going to have a better result. So just being able to relate to people in that way, uh, to teach people things um, without really any formal training in, in teaching, and mostly accountability so your organizational Ooh, the skills big word that's a big word right your organizational skills um are they're gonna they're gonna be huge in you know maintaining personnel weapons accountability um and the last one i'd say is creativity so we always have to find ways to train marines uh we can't do the same thing over and over and over again because then that's where you get the complacency and um you know, just just figuring out new ways to keep the Marines engaged, but also get training value out of out of every minute that you have, because there's never enough time. I hope some young coaches, no matter what sport, listen to this, because 
it seems to me the last 20 years I've been basing my coaching philosophies without even knowing on the Marines. <laughs> yeah. Accountability, character, putting your head down, grit teeth. Yeah. I think a lot of people use the values of the U.S. Marine Corps and they don't even know it. And I think it's, it's uh, I don't want to say a, an exclusive club, but it kind of is. You're the baddest branch of military on the planet. Let's let's face it, Murph. I mean, I I'm inclined to agree with you, but I'm sure there's a plenty of you know former soldiers and sailors and airmen, you know, that may have their own ideas on that. Um, the Marines it, are they're yeah. they're a, a different breed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that that's the reputation that has been built by Marines over you know the last two centuries uh, of. Mm-hmm. You know, some pretty intense battles and hardships that, that they went through and persevered through. Um, so so really it's it's maintaining the the reputation that, that they built, uh, and and you know, keep keeping the the civilian population um, you know keep, like keeping keeping the, the marine reputation high in their eyes. Right. Um, because because it was built on the the things that those guys did, and you never want to do anything to take away from that. You never hear Marky, what's this fucking Marine going to do? You don't hear that. And if you do hear that, you better uh, clear the way because you're about to buy some furniture because shit is about to hit the fan. I've seen a couple Marines in, in, in uh, bar combat over the years, my years, and... Uh, you don't want to, you guys. I don't want to say that you're trained killers. I think that's that's horrible to say. <clears throat> but I think you're trained to defuse the situation one way or another. Accountability, creativity. Yeah. You know. You know. And you're a creative guy. You started your uh, Instagram account. And you got, you got uh, that going on. How did that even start? Uh, with that, it was just a, just an interest that I had, you know, um, I, I was. Tell them the tag, tell them the, uh, the name of the account. So the, the account is at Abandoned Buffalo. And, uh, what I do is I, I find, um, you know, abandoned structures throughout the city and I photograph them and, you know, show, show people what they look like on the inside, uh, for, for people who may or may not be able to ever access these places. And that's very interesting because this started really taking off the last couple of years. This, I want to, I don't want to call it a trend. And I also think that that also like goes into like what you're saying is like having humility and like doing something creative, being yourself on top of being Marine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we just heard how hard, you know you've become your hardened you know dude and then it's like you have an outlet for your art a little release yeah Yeah. well what what you were saying with the you know the the hardened uh trained individuals a lot of times uh that will go to a marine's head especially the the Mm -hmm. younger guys they think like i'm a united states marine you know i'm untouchable lead follower get out of the way right yeah And, and you know that's 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 great at times, but right. It, it's you you learn as as you mature and, and move up that that's not really what it's about. You you really see how much you don't know about um, 
applying combat power in any way, be it hand-to-hand combat or, you know, the application of some serious firepower that the United States military has. So, uh, you know, once you start getting up into the, the, the brown belt and the black belt and the, uh, the, um, the, the red tabs and the brown tabs on, on those belts and the different degrees that you can get, you see like, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not such a good fighter with my tan belt and my gray belt. Yeah, but your resume was, must weigh a ton. You got to move that thing with a forklift. You know, so I don't have any of those things, actually. Uh, I didn't get very high into the MCMAP program, and that's just a function of, you know, the, the instructors are hard to come by. Um, and, you know, it just, it never really, I never really had the time for it. You know, we were able to get some of my Marines on deployment, belted up into those higher levels, but uh, it, it's a, it's a big uh, time investment, and they, it's the whole you know martial arts concept, the, uh, the the mindset, and it's not just the techniques. Um, so, you know, it just was not something that I prioritized, and I just it never came around. And that creative release with this abandoned buffalo, um, which is it's big now. There's a lot of Instagram accounts that are taking a look at these abandoned buildings, what they look like. But I will have to say, Murph is probably the the first one. I see a that couple. I remember, yeah. Yeah, I see a couple now in Buffalo. You know, like we know, Marky, there's a lot of guys that want to, you know, follow and do what we do. But we have, a, I think, you know, the abandoned building photographer original here. What was the most interesting place in western New York, Buffalo, that you've come across? Like, oh, my God, this door's open. Yeah. Or like your most popular photo that you've taken. Yeah. Um, well, first to like address the, the thing about being the first, um, account, I started mine in 2014. There was a couple others kicking around and, you know, we were all kind of like in contact with each other, you know, we'd share locations and there wasn't many of us and you're right now, now they're kind of all over the place. And, um, my favorite spot that, you know, was sort of untouched for a long time was the um the wonder bread factory oh um, yeah it was untouched for a while you know it it hasn't been closed that long i think i think it closed in 2003 uh but a lot of people have figured out how to get in there and it's sort of been in my opinion, has been ruined. There's a lot graffiti. of terrible graffiti. Um, people just going in and trashing rooms for the sake of it. These are rooms that were left in the condition um, and have been untouched since those last employees left and locked the door. That's the way that they were on that last workday. And some kid goes in there and just just throws all the stuff around and you know makes a mess just for the sake of it. It's probably those softball full of little gangsters, Marky. <laughs> but you know that—that's my opinion on it. Some people. No, I've seen—I've seen that account that you're like. This was one of the last pictures that, before it was, let's say, ruined by hoodlums. Right. We'll say. And um, you know, you if you if you see the account, you see any any picture that I post. There's going to be three or four people asking where where is this and i 
I've never told anybody where any of my photos have been taken. No, and that's what I like about it. Bro. Um, you know, some of them are are very obvious where they are, um, but I'm not. I'm never going to give anybody instruction on how to get into one of these places. A, because it's not. You know, it's trespassing. Right. It's our. Uh, it's not, <laughs> it's, yeah. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to be a part of that. Yeah. And uh, also, I I don't want the word to get out because I don't want these places to be ruined. That opens it up to, um, you know, not not just graffiti and vandalism, but just arson. People for some reason people like to burn these places down. Right. Uh, and then you know if if there's a lot of activity in one spot, you know that attracts, you know, the law. How do you normally get into these places? Is there is somebody forgot to lock a door? Is there a door ajar where you could kind of slide in? Or some are so deteriorated that you know they're just open to the elements. You can just walk in. Um, most of them are semi <coughs> sealed, so you've got to find a way. Use your marine training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, there, you know. Usually you can find an, an open door. I, I would never, you know, physically break into a place, you, you know, break a window or pry a door open. If if you can't get in without doing something like that, then you just don't get in, in, that, in my opinion. Um, you know, but a lot of times the buildings are just open to the elements. You just walk right in. So we had a discussion, I think, episode 13 or episode 12 with ribs. Is, is Are drones cheating? I think so because you can fly a drone over a fence and through a factory without ever getting the experience of being inside. Uh, you know, and and what he does is is different. And you know, he is actually one of the reasons why I started this account because oh, I saw how this. how yeah. good he did and like his his pictures were awesome. And um, you know, he was he was building a, a real big following, and I I had this interest in these abandoned buildings. It was something I was doing anyway, so I'm gonna follow his example, but kind of take it in a in a slightly different direction. It's in the eye of the beholder. You, not everybody with a camera can just take a picture, you know. Right. Right. It, well, now now I think it's a little bit different, you know, uh, with this thing. This this amazing camera here yeah uh, but that's know, what I, ribs uses ribs is only an iphone right yeah, yeah. and you know i did invest a, a small amount of money into a, a nikon camera but um you know a lot of a lot of the times especially when i first started taking photos it was just with my phone right yeah i, I once got a tap on the shoulder i was working for the city of buffalo come on kid we got to go get backboards for the cast park so I'm driving, I'm driving. This is 99. All of a sudden, I'm in the auditorium, the Buffalo Auditorium. I get duct tape to duct tape my pants because the rats will run up your legs. So now I don't just want to go into the bottom of the garage where the basketball hoops are. I want to see the auditorium. So now... I'm walking in the Buffalo, no no camera phones, no nothing, but boy, do I wish I had one then, and that was the last time I've, I walked in, 96 was the last game I was at, and then 99, but I know what you mean about graffiti, because in the Sabres locker room, they had a stairwell that went upstairs to the workout room, some fucking asshole decided to spray paint the walls of the Sabres locker room, so I know what you mean, but... 
what a rush. And now I, I this wasn't like a hobby of mine. I was going to steal backboards for our neighborhood from the auditorium. Um, that's got to be a rush because I felt a little rushed. Like, I'm really not supposed to be in here because even though we were city employees, we were stealing. You got to love South Buffalo. Uh, it's, it was kind of a rush when they hit those lights and, like, nobody's been in here. This is great. Do you get that rush when you walk into an abandoned building like that? Yeah, definitely. And and that's definitely one of the places that I wish that I could have seen. Oh. I was just a little bit too young for that. Um, but being in, you know, the, these old industrial places, you get, you get the sense, you know, I'm not supposed to be here really. Um, you know, it's semi dangerous. You know, you you never know what you you're stepping on, or you know what is in the air or on the ground or anything like that. And they're like strangely beautiful in their own way. Yeah. And you can you can really get some some amazing pictures from from some of these places, and people really seem to enjoy seeing them. Oh, a lot of likes on there. The other one, Marky, is uh, the old Seneca Mall. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my friends broke into there. Well, we didn't break in. It was like you the said. The statute of limitations up on all these crimes? Yeah. <laughs> See, the, the thing is, and with the Seneca Mall, um, you know, a lot of these places that were uh, in an abandoned state when I started doing this are either gone yeah. or, you know, they've been, they've been rehabbed into, you know, usable space. So uh, they're kind of hard to come by now. And, um, you know, in a weird way, there's a lot of competition to find new places because they're they're finite now. They used to be all over, but now the city is doing a good job of either getting rid of them or or you know renovating them. We gotta hook you up with our building inspector pals. Maybe we'll get you get you some leads here. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> I need a I need an in for some new. Well, locations. you'll be able to go to the McKinley Mall soon and tie, <laughs> take yeah. a couple pictures of that. I bet, I bet your account just became like the biggest uh, paintball following. They're like, yeah, that's a good place to paint paintball. <laughs> I have gotten that comment before. Like, really, this would be a really good place to uh, play paintball. Okay, a lot of schools. That's all I thought about. A lot of churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, fact. But what what is one that uh, we didn't know about? A little a little place or something. There's there is a a sanatorium. I'm not gonna say where exactly it is, but it's it it closed. I think around 2000 2001, and um, it's it's amazing. It's it's huge. Uh, you, you get a little bit of everything. You get the 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 architecture. Uh, you you get the the creepy hospital feel. Uh, it's in the middle of nowhere, so that that one is my favorite. It's the only place I've ever been arrested at, so <laughs> I'm very hesitant to return. What are they, What are they saying to you when they you know when they get there? The authorities. Well, it's it's state property, and okay. the the people in the town around it they're on the lookout for vandals. Uh, this, I mean, this place—it's a—it's a beautiful old hospital, and they don't want to see it destroyed. Sure. Um, but you know, the state's not doing anything with it. It's fenced off, and it's just deteriorating. So, um, you know, I—I'd been there once, and you know, that was probably <laughs> my, my only time going there. I wish I could go back, but um, that's definitely my my all-time favorite. You could spend. You could spend days in that place and not see it all. Now, would the thrill be gone if you just got permission? 
Somewhat, but I would still do it because I'm just really interested in seeing these places. There's probably a way to go about it where you don't ever have to get arrested again. (laughs) Well, I've gone that way specifically with that place. There is like a, or there was a foundation for it, Mm -hmm. and I don't know what the purpose of it was. Um, But I did reach out to them and ask if I could uh, have access to it. And, you know, I, I don't think that they're. It's like a defunct organization, so I never heard anything back. But um, I have done that a couple times, and I have actually used that as a as an avenue to access some places that are otherwise um, impossible to get into. That's awesome. And I seen a, a theater that you went in. I don't. You don't have to say the name of the theater, but there's not too many of them around because they're they're revamping these theaters for use again in. I thought the the theater, it's an eerie thing when there's old seats and there's nobody in there and there's just the, the sunlight hits it right. I, I I get a kick out of that. Yeah. I really do. And th- I, that's, you know, an, it's an old place. It was built in the early 1900s, and that's when they really put a significant effort into making these places beautiful and ornate. And you, you still get, you still get a, a sense of that when you're in there. But then that's contrasted with the deterioration and the decay that's happened in the last, you know, forty years since it's closed. Right. Uh, and that and, w- and that was just a hobby when you co- would come back, or, I mean, obviously you're not taking pictures of to Ben in Buffalo. So, um, yeah, it's just a hobby. And when when I was I was here, I was a reserve marine, so I was I was only doing that, you know, that one weekend per month. And, you know, I was just working and, you know, just doing doing that kind of so that, you know, and part of my job, which was to my my job involved a lot of driving was to find new places to go because I was in I was driving around the city all day. So if I didn't have much going on, that's what I would do. I would find new places. And then when I was off of work or on the weekend, I'd come back and see if I could get some photos so now we'll go back to boots on the ground we're an officer and we're heading back overseas what are some of the places you visited i know we talked before rome norway italy are those your r&r places or are you stationed there when i initially left we went uh to the country of georgia and we we trained with the georgians a little bit and uh, then our final exercise, our pre-deployment evaluation, was in Germany. So I'd spent six weeks in Georgia, three weeks in Germany. After that, two weeks in Italy uh, on leave. We, I went on vacation with my girlfriend in Italy. And um, after that, we, we went back to Georgia, and we were right on a plane to Afghanistan. When you're a soldier and you're around you know, R&R, you're, you're with your girlfriend. Does our country tell them you don't want to advertise that you're with the Marine Corps? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, There's always going to be a, a force protection officer, and he's going to brief you on the threats that are present in whatever country you're going to be in. Uh, you want to make yourself inconspicuous. They're... They're always going to know that you're an American, 
Um, but just, you know, being a, a member of the military is going to make you just that much more of a, of a target. Um, especially, you know, in a place like Georgia, for instance, you, you know, there's, there's Russians around and they're, they want to, they want to engage you in conversation and see what they can get out of you. And you might never even know that you're being collected on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just don't want to make it super obvious that you, you are in the military. And if somebody starts, you know, talking to you and they're, they're steering the conversation into uh, a place where they're asking about specifics, then you, that's kind of a clue that, you know, this is someone I shouldn't be talking to. Yeah, when I coached her brother, we were in the world tournament. Me and my father uh, got engaged with some Ruskies. We were having some drinks with them, and, you know, I kind of got diarrhea of the mouth having a couple cocktails. The old man pulls me aside, and my, my father worked for the government. He goes, hey, asshole, you want to shut up? I said, what? He goes, don't fucking trust these guys. Right. And it, you know, that, <laughs> that was that was 1999, so it was a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, there's, in any country, um, you're, you're going to have to, you know, let the State Department know that you're going and receive a threat brief. And, you know, right. they're, they're going to give you those tips on how to sort of stay below the radar during your visit. Like... If you thought that there was like a world scoreboard, scoreboard, how do you think we're doing? Concerning what? Just the how likeliness. Yeah, like just how, how much, here? like how much people like us, or you know, whatever. Like, what what would the scoreboard read? I don't, I don't know <laughs> if I could give a score, but you know, I, I I'm sort of. Are we up or are we down? You know, like, we're probably down right now, but you know, <laughs> I I buy into the uh, whole idea of. American exceptionalism, so I don't really care. That a boy, <laughs> that a boy, Murph. So we end up at Afghanistan. Now I know you can't get into details because, uh, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. What are you doing in Afghanistan that you could talk about? I was part of the Georgian liaison team, um, so our our main task was to train, advise, and assist the Georgian army in their their mission in Afghanistan, uh, which for the most part consisted of base defense. And we also did some, uh, some patrolling in the, uh, in the area around the base. How's the climate going on over there right now? The political climate? Well, I I'd say just all together. Yeah. We're, we're kind of in a period of, of change right now. Uh, for a good portion of my deployment, they were engaged in peace talks and when I say they, I mean the, the U.S. government and the Taliban. The uh, the Afghan government was not involved in that. Um, so you've got you've got a, a few different groups pulling in, in different ways. Um, the the U.S. wants the Afghan government to succeed. Obviously, the Taliban is of the uh, you know assumption that. Jeroa, the government of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, is illegitimate and that they are the true government and they, they want a voice in that government at, at the very least. And the U.S. doesn't want, you know, uh, Afghanistan to return to the way that it was from 1996 to 2001. What's your feelings on—I always think when you're looking at Afghanistan— 
I don't really trust the Pakistani government. And nor should you. No. Okay, good. So I'm not crazy. <laughs> the Pakistan government hides the Taliban. To, so the, to a point. the Taliban senior leadership uh, found refuge in Pakistan right. once the Taliban government of Afghanistan fell very early on in the in uh, Operation Enduring Freedom. Yeah. And there are a lot of places to hide in that country, oh, yeah. in the mountains. How does our government go about, if you can get into it, finding these little fucks? <laughs> Well, you know, there's, there's, like any anywhere, there's human intelligence on the ground uh, from not just the U.S., but you know, they've they've got sources of information, and there there are people there that genuinely dislike the Taliban, and they have their ways of gathering information, and they they feed it to the uh, coalition, and then it becomes maybe becomes actionable. Um, if it's if it's from a reliable source and can be corroborated, what kind of hardware are we using to look in these caves and stuff? Or is there is there no? Is hardware? there a lot? Yeah, is there a ton of technology like now that's just making things more safe? So those those sources of collecting information, uh, like signals intelligence and things like that, are um, things I'm not too familiar about. Are familiar with um, they require a higher security clearance than I have so you know not only do I not know too much about it but if I did I really wouldn't be oh yeah, yeah right it. well that's good <laughs> yeah I just want to know that we, we got guys on the ground some probably in CIA and we have the technology that we're really being able to look through these caves it seems to me because you you see every once in a while there was a, oh, there was a exercise in Afghanistan on the Pakistani border. Oh, it was just an exercise. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not conducting exercises. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're yeah they're they got a job to do, and I, I really I have a lot of respect, uh, and I'm proud of the boys over there because that's got to be very difficult. I mean, we all see movies, and I'm not going to go back to. Oh, what about this movie and that? Obviously, it's different. That's got to be some scary shit. You're in the mountains. The terrain is tough and very unpredictable at times with the weather and things like that. How are we doing there? It seems like we are really on top of things. When we first got there, it was like, we can't find anybody. You know, it's tough. It sounds like we have figured it out there. And there is running; they're running out of places to hide. That's just what I see, at least. I, I kind of have to disagree with you there. Um, okay. The I feel like there's there's a, a good portion of the country that is either uh, controlled outright by the Taliban or is contested heavily. Um, you know, we're not the most popular people there. Uh, we're our in, our entire uh, approach to this conflict is um, to use the coalition to prop up the uh, the Afghan government and train the uh, Afghan security forces so that they can they can maintain their own sovereign nation. Um, it's 
it's sort of a difficult thing to do because of the the cultural difference. Um, our 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 idea of uh, a government is not their idea of the ideal government. There's a lot of corruption, um, and then you've got all these different factions, um, you know, you know, fighting for their own ends, and it, it's it's a really volatile place. Uh, where I was was not the the most um, you know dangerous province that you could possibly be in, um, but it it was definitely not uh, you know, a, a politically safe place to be. Um, the at the presidential election happened while I was there, and we were expecting you know high profile attacks, and there were a couple. Uh, there was a, a suicide attack, um, one in Kabul and one in actually in the province that I was in uh, at a, a political rally that the Taliban thought the president was going to be at, um, killed 44 people, I think. The president, he's not the Kaiser? Uh, Karzai. Karzai? No, it's, uh, his name is Ghani. Okay, so that guy's gone. Is, is he still alive? Is he still uh, is he... Hamid Karzai? Yeah. I don't know. You want to talk about a figure. <laughs> Jesus. Being on the inside of the military and everything, and then like hearing things like in the news that we've been now, do you say we have the smartest people, we have the right, we're doing the right thing, or are you just, I have a job, this is my job? Mostly it was, you know, I, I have, I'm responsible for a sector of this base. I am responsible to advise this company of Georgian soldiers and first and foremost, I am responsible for my team. Mm-hmm. It's a small team, but um, making sure that they were doing the right things, that they were trained well enough to do them, and that you know we were, we as a as a team uh, were doing the right things to to make sure that everyone went back home, because um, I think you know eight days before I landed in Afghanistan, three Marines were killed from the team that we were replacing. So that was kind of a shock. Like, you know, this is this is for real. And, you know, it's been 19 years, and, yeah, it's sort of a, a simmering conflict, but um, it's there's still a threat out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, now, we're training a lot of guys over there. We're training a lot of uh, people from that region here. Do you trust these guys, all of them? No, and you, you can't. Yeah. Um, there, like I said, there are people that want to make their country a better place to live and, and raise families. Um, you know, there's there's no job opportunities. So the Afghan National Police, the Afghan National Army offers these people somewhat of an income. And when we're training them, we're training them to be a functioning military unit, so you can't always disarm them. There's going to be times where they have to have weapons. They're going to come out on patrols. There's, they have to have weapons out there. Um, you just have to take certain measures to make sure that you're safe while you're doing your job. You looking at a lot of these guys in the eye? Maybe you could pick something up. Like, eh, there, I don't know about there this are, guy. There are indicators of an insider attack. And uh, sometimes when it happens, you don't see any of them. Sure. But um, they just, like, as a culture, they're not big into, like, 
eye contact or anything like that. So that's kind of a hard hard one to pick out. But okay. there are there are behaviors that will uh, sort of give you a clue into what their intention is if it's nefarious. I I. I have a. I understand that we need to train those people to better their country. Uh, I think in that region of the world, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of poor people, so there could be a little hanky panky going on under the table. It, I'm more worried about that right now than an outside country declaring war. Obviously, now, with what's going on now, uh, I'm concerned with the bases there, the safety of the bases. Our friend Mike, you know? Yeah, our friend Mike over in Israel. I mean, um, what to you, right now, 2020, I don't even know the date, Marky, um, what's the biggest threat over there, do you think? Long term, uh, in my opinion... The, the biggest threat to our country is China. Really? Uh, you know, Afghanistan is sort of just a drain on our on our resources, and, you know, it's it's like a, 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 a cash funnel that, you know, the money just lands there, and you, you're never really sure where it's going or if it's making a positive impact, if it's falling into the hands of people you don't want it to uh, just because of the corruption and, and all of that. Um, but... You know, I don't think that they really have the capability or the capacity to affect us. They're so not here. organized. Right. Um, you know, there's always going to be those guys that act on their own in, you know, in, in support of an organization. But, you know, how can you stop that? Uh, but, yes, long long term, you know, our biggest geopolitical threat, in my personal opinion, would be China. What are you thinking about Iran now, Murph? You know, it wasn't unexpected their their retaliation uh, on these bases. I think the uh, the locations that they chose to strike were um, chosen for a reason. They they know that uh, you know one of those bases is an Iraqi base. There's not a, a huge American presence there. There are some Americans, but uh, and that goes uh, the same for the the other base that they struck is mostly Kurdish, um, and I I think again this is my opinion that that could be you know the end of it right there. You just say okay, tip we, for tat. We got we got your guy. You, you you got us back. You know we as. Uh, the you know the United States can say we're we're going to come from a position of strength and use restraint because we choose to. It's not a it's not a weakness thing. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to uh, you know continue to escalate this, but you know we're going to choose not to, and that comes from the ability to do that comes from strength and not weakness. And then you you come home during all this, Marky. And you got these guys protesting with masks on. This Antifa, and you know they're, they're, they they put down our our troops, they put down our leaders, throw shit at people just randomly walking out of a coffee shop. Do the soldiers pay any attention to these idiots, or do we get mad? 
do some guys want to say, you know, I'm going to Seattle and I'm going to beat the fuck out of a couple of these guys? What's the mindset on those guys? You know, there's such such like a, a, a small movement in, in, it is in small. my opinion. It's just like a, a concentrated group of losers in a couple places, mm-hmm. but they make a lot of noise and they get a lot of, they get a lot of attention. Um, they don't have any real teeth the way that they protest and, you know, um, basically like attack people is from a, a position of cowardice. Especially um, with the masks. Yeah, so they'll come out and they'll they'll hit you with something and they'll just blend right. They won't they won't like square up with you and fight you. And when they do that, you, you see the videos. They, oh, they, they lose. Yeah, they don't have <laughs> too much success. So um, I don't think anyone really cares what they have to say. Sure. And it, it's like what I just said on a micro level. Like that comes from a position of strength. The restraint from yeah. a position of strength. Like you know. If we were to fight, who, you wouldn't do very well. So I'm, I'm just gonna choose to, you know, walk away and not pay any attention. Yeah, to I think at a, a certain point, though, I think the shit is gonna hit the fan here. I, I, I don't think that. I think their numbers are dwindling. Like today, there was a protest in downtown Buffalo about you know what's going on in the Middle East. There's like seven people freezing their balls off, which which I laugh. I mean that is your right as American to protest, but at at a point, the war is on Twitter. Yeah, it's on Twitter now. What what are they protesting specifically? They don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to ask any of these people. You know, what what's 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 your what's your opinion on the matter? How would you handle this any differently? That they would say, you know, I don't know, but I just hate President Trump so much that I can't handle it, and I need to be out here on a Wednesday morning uh, protesting downtown. And my, I've always been, you know, oh, what what, are, what nationality are you? Irish? I've always said I'm an American. Fourth of July. I like the 4th of July better than I like Paddy's Day. Now, don't get me wrong. I like the money that I make on Paddy's Day. And, you know, I like having a few spirits with Marky Baby over here. But I love being an American. And I think that's getting lost a little bit. And I think I've always – I wasn't a big fan of uh, George Bush. And, then you know, he threw out the pitch. Goosebumps still. I, I got that camaraderie coming back. And uh, – I support whoever our commander in chief is, and I think more people should should be that way. Just because you hate this guy doesn't mean you gotta hate on guys like Murph. You know what I mean, Mark? Totally. I haven't really experienced any anything like that. Like, you know, even it's more general, like yeah, social you know, media it's and just, shit. It's really just like overwhelming support, and you it's know, great. I don't really like to advertise any any more that i newfoundland dogs yeah you just don't know that they're there yeah you know yeah, yeah, that's right <laughs> uh you know when i when i was a junior marine a pfc and a lance corporal i wanted wanted everyone to know that i was a marine and mm-hmm. i thought it was thought it was awesome and, you know i still do but it's just a little bit more you know quiet about it because you know i did my time and you know that's just a, it was a portion of my life and but when when people do find out or people who do know that about me you know it's just it's, they're all always great about it it's always supportive um it's just those those people that are super loud on on twitter and things like that that you know you might get that idea from but the average person 
they're always great about it. Yeah, it's uh, like coming towards the end of your time. Were you like, oh man, this is almost over, or were you like, woohoo, I'm like, I'm gonna move on to the next chapter? I was on the fence about it until you know my last day. Um, there's there's still opportunities out there. Um, I'm not I'm not 100 percent done with the with the Marine Corps. Um, I'm in an inactive status for a few months. So if if I did want to take one of those opportunities and, and jump back into it, I could. Um, but you know I'm it, it's been such a big part of my life over the last few years that I'm ready to just kind of like take a step back from it. Um, and, and, you know, do some other things. And if, if I do want to come back to it, I, I have that option. Right. What's the future hold for Brendan Murphy? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in a, in a state of flux right now. Um, and taking some time off of work to just decompress after this deployment. Um, looking at other, other job opportunities, you know, Moving back to South Buffalo, and I got oh, a lot great. of a lot of things happening. What was your degree in? Uh, it was in economics. Right. I think we got a politician on our hands, Jimmy. I think so too. <laughs> I think we got to get behind this kid. Yeah, coming back into the district, we got Chris coming up on the. Maybe you should sit in, learn a little bit. Yeah, you're well. You got the gift of gab. Yeah. Very well spoken. No I think. Doubt it, about it. I think that. Uh, I think that the office you're looking for, you know. <laughs> we need a politician with blue jeans and a polo. None of these suits. I'm sick of these suits. But we talked about being on a team has helped you grow up. How has your military experience affected your life today? Today, I'm talking today. Do you do you stand back and say, "Boy, I'm I'm so glad I did that. I met so many people, experiences. I've seen the world." And do you have any regret? that you didn't do something you know it, it it has been good to me you know experience wise um things that i've things i've learned um things that you know i've picked up on from other leaders that i've encountered you know you you, you see these guys and you say like hey i like the way that he handles this i'm gonna i'm gonna work that into the way that i do things um i ran to a lot of a lot of fine you know senior marine leaders uh from you know the the field grade officers, general officers, um, the experiences that I was able to have. You know, with the travel, I I would never have been able to you know vacation in Italy or visit Norway and Germany and Turkey and the Netherlands and Greece and all these places that I've been to. Uh, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't join the military. Um, and you know, just just the sort of the addition to um your 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 personal life and the the increase in uh respect that you get from other people be it you know prospective employers or just people that you, you talk to on the street um you know especially when you run into another former marine you you have that bond immediately and you know i just i just spoke to um an infantry officer from vietnam he's one of my neighbors the other day um you know never met him before in my life but we stood there and spoke for an hour so yeah it's the camaraderie 
right? Like, you know, it's instant. You talk about Germany. Were you in Berlin? No, we we were in um, a training area uh, outside of Hohenfels, Germany. Uh, just a small place, but you know, there's there's nothing around. There's no there's no travel opportunities. We were there to uh, make it through our uh, mission readiness evaluation and and then and then get on with our deployment. The most interesting thing I seen in Munich when I was in Munich. There's no grass in Munich, Marky. Adolf Hitler got rid of all the grass so they could hear the boots march. <laughs> and when you go on a tour of that, that kind of gives it. Holy shit. I'm in a big part of history here, and there's no grass. But the one interesting thing I seen there was the eagle's nest. And you know what the eagle's nest is now? It's a cafe and uh, uh, B&B. Yeah, I would assume they would turn that into like a hotel of some sort. Yeah, that's right. You, the Hoffer house is down and the eagle's nest is up. And six months out of the year, you can't get to it because of the snow. <laughs> but the, the, when you go over there, and I, I recommend to everybody, you get over in that region, that Germany, Austria region. They they were very good to Americans. Um but the history there, and I seen a photo. You were in the Rome Coliseum. How did that? Yeah, that was one place that I've always wanted to go. What does that feel like walking into into that joint? I mean, that was that was the the trip of a lifetime. Um, you know, two weeks in in Italy. We spent uh, six days in Rome, and that was that was the first place we went. Um, you know, after that first travel day, that was the first tour that we went on, and um, you know, it's hard to kind of get the scope of that place just by looking at photos of it once you're inside it is it is huge um we were able to go underground where they had the the locker rooms and where they kept the animals and things like that and you know it was it was really cool just walking out of that tunnel and then you're in this you know this arena that's you know thousands of years old gary oh yeah (laughs) I mean, from what from what I've read about it and what I was I was told about it from the guide, you know, they were it's it's not really what people think about like with the you know the movies and stuff like that where they were fighting to the death. Like these were these were trained entertainers. Yes, they were trained fighters, and you know they were um, sort of expensive commodities, so they didn't want to kill each other. Yeah, but it was sort of a like a like a pro wrestling WWE yeah, type it, thing. It was kind of like a, a, a throwback, like a little kayfabe going on there. Mark, not to where say you that, can laugh or learn something. Right, Man, yeah. I didn't know any of this stuff. And, <laughs> not to say that people weren't killed there. I mean, there was some, some religious persecution going on and they killed a lot of animals and, and people were yeah. killed in, in the, um, the, the entertainment. But, um, you know, I'm sure someone's going to look it up and tell me that I'm wrong on that. But, that's that's what I understand about the situation. Is that the mo? I don't want to say famous, but is, it, is it like in the world, it, was that like a surreal experience being there? Any any other places that you know landmarks or anything you've been to that you're like, wow. That that's probably the the height of it. Um, just going to the you know these places where. There's just so much history. There's so much to learn about. Um, there, there are some other lesser known places that I've been. Some, some monasteries in 
in Georgia that are 1500 years old and you know they it, they're they're small little villages where you know all the, all these all these things happened and they're so old that you know y- you don't really get a sense of you know how, like how is this building still standing it's it's 2000 years old um it, it's just a it's just a really amazing place that no one ever considers to visit like Tbilisi is a modern city but if you go into the outskirts of Georgia to the smaller towns there's a lot of amazing history there and a lot of amazing architecture a lot of it is religious in nature They're very religious people but is that was a close second to spending two weeks in in Italy was visiting Georgia how do you think the uh, friendship with well, you would say that was a part of the old Soviet Union, right, yep. Georgia? Yep. Where is that exactly? So huh? it's it's right on the Black Sea. Um, oh, okay. In the Caucasus region of, uh, you know, it, it's in Asia, south of Russia. How's the relationship as a soldier between Russia and America? How do you look at it, your opinion of it? In my opinion, Russia isn't the the threat or the foe that people want to make them into. Uh, I don't think that their military is as strong as we're led to believe. Um, and that comes from their ability to project power, which which we do through our Navy and our and our aircraft carriers. I mean, they have one and it doesn't work very well. So their ability to globally project what power they have is, limited if non-existent uh, their economy isn't very strong and you know if it came down to it it would be a very nasty fight you know everyone knows that you don't want to fight the Russians but um, I don't think that there's some existential threat to you know American sovereignty is that why they're going into this whole cyber shit and hacking because think- their power is being lost off the battlefield and now we're taking it into a cyber way. Well, I mean not only do they not want to get involved in a in an actual kinetic fight with the US, that wouldn't be good for anybody, but you know that's that's kind of like a subtle way that they can fuck with us and, you know, disrupt what we're trying to do. Um yeah, that's I, that's really like their their best shot at at sort of weakening us a little bit. What is the most hated country? By the U.S. Marines right now, you think? Your opinion? Hated? Like, yeah, those goddamn whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, if you were to ask today, it would probably be Iran. Right. (laughs) That stuff fluctuates, uh, you know, based on current events. But you know, you, you hear rumblings about North Korea, Russia, China. You know, those all those classic foes that we have the north korea thing to me is just hilarious they can't even fucking feed if you're to watch news what news do you watch like is there anything that like that happened over time you're like well these guys got it right at least they're following the right path you know you know i try and get a little bit of everything um you know i i there are news organizations that i will not watch but um i could guess one (laughs) (laughs) The 
I mean, I mean, we spoke about it. The the reporting on on the the dead Americans today from the from the missile strike that was just completely untrue. You know that that's it's unacceptable that that would make it through and be published. Um, it I try and and acute like aggregate sources to you know check things off against each other and um, you know especially when deployed we're not so much concerned about the news we're concerned about like we'll get intelligence reports right so we don't have to rely on the news because they're going to find out about stuff two or three days after it happens or after we already know about it and you know it's it's important to look at foreign sources because maybe they're a little bit more objective and they don't really have uh, a dog in the fight and a cause to spin things um, like the BBC maybe or, uh, you know, AP. AP, Yeah, they've got foreign correspondence and things like that. So um, really it's tough today because (laughs) so much that's that's what everyone talks about is you know fake news on facebook and you know how it's influencing uh public opinion and elections and things like that so you never really do know unless you're going to really get down and do some research um into a specific topic but you know most people don't have the time or the desire to do that lately Uh, i've been thinking uh about news it's like almost like sports marquee where I'll listen to a sports show where the guys have been on battle, like coaches or players. You give me three talking heads up there that didn't make their JV basketball team, I'm not going to listen to them. <laughs> I get okay? you, yeah. But if you give me a news network where we got a retired general <laughs> and then we got a re- retired congressman that has diplomacy. A captain. A captain <laughs> in the Marines. I'm going to sway and listen to those stations because they're getting guys with experience. And I think that's one of the things that news outlets are uh, really screwing up lately is they're getting the guy with the smile. and and Who did sports on this network before. And you need those guys. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want to hear Nancy Pelosi tell me about what's going on in Afghanistan. I want to see retired four-star general that's he's cutting right to the chase and no bullshit talk to me about news. Is is that what a lot of veterans sway towards? They get rid of those talking heads and they want to go to the guys with experience. I would, I would agree with that. You know, it, you always want to get analysis from people that have experience um but the news should be objective facts uh you shouldn't have to wade through opinion and analysis when it comes to that uh and i think everyone wants to inject their own you know worldview into it uh unfortunately I, i'm not a journalist but uh, i don't know if that's taught in journalism schools you know to either report just the facts or hey let's let's hear what you have to say about these facts no one wants that we just just tell us what's going on so yeah when it comes to analyzing sure look to people that have experience um but you know nobody's gonna have enough experience or the perfect 
set of experiences to offer, you know, everything you need to know about a, a particular story or event or place. I uh I lo- went, did some research. I went back in, you know, your Instagram account and stuff. I seen you flying in helicopters. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little about that. That fascinates me. Well, I mean, just part of our job sometimes we have to, you know, insert via helicopter, you know, they're 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 a quick way to get in and out. Um some of the some of the shots that you saw were from aerial reconnaissance that we were doing. Uh when we first got into Afghanistan, we just we flew in Blackhawks and just to kind of get a, a you know, an or a good orientation onto uh our area of operations and and see what it was really like before we started going outside the wire and and doing our patrols so we could see how narrow the roads were or what shape they were in which routes were going to be trafficable which ones we needed to stay away from uh you know which which compounds offered good visibility you know if for an ambush if if possibly and uh just just getting an idea of what we were about to get into and um, some of the other ones that you saw were just training helicopter inserts for, you know. How do you start this thing? You never, you never know when you're going to need to do a, you know, a helicopter-borne assault, so you got to train for it. Um, one that we did in Germany, the Georgians had never done one before, so that's kind of what we trained up to. And then uh, in that culminating exercise, we did a helicopter-borne assault. We landed one terrain feature away from the town that we needed to uh, to take and then we patrolled up to it and they did a fantastic job and uh, you know they don't have any helicopters so that was the first time all of them had been on one impressive I'm really impressed yeah well he's back on the block Marky you know he he took your coaching <laughs> and he brought it over you to gotta Georgia coach him up and he coached those <laughs> How would you say the, the Jordanians? Georgians. Jordans? Georgians. Georgians. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Bad Buffalo accents. I'm sorry. Um, Brendan Murphy, if you see him out, buy him a beer. He'll have a Jenny Light. Make sure it's cold. This has been a great conversation. And, of course, you know, License to Talk always supports the troops. And uh, we appreciate your service. Glad that you're home and healthy. Murph comes from a good family. Take that big giant resume and land yourself something that you always wanted to do now. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying. Maybe maybe when we get in the office or we make it big, we'll yeah. have him come and do the books or something, you know? Well, I just think that, you know, he just runs for office on a ballot note, sitting out there in front of the steeple, telling he loves all kinds of people. It's a little Bob Dylan for you. Oh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Captain uh, Brendan Murphy from the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, you are now licensed to talk. Thanks for stopping by, Brendan. Hey, thanks for having me. Go USA. USA.